Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. From the blackest corners of your mind, they call, pulling you deep into shadow, twisting your senses, keeping you from sleep. It's time to face your darkest fears. This is Tales to Terrify. Good evening, children of the night, and welcome. Hard to believe we're just a couple weeks away from that most terrifying time of year. Long lines, snarled traffic, the stresses of rushing to get things done before the break. If you're one of those rare creatures who enjoys the hustle and bustle of the time of year, relishes in the frenetic energy and excitement, well, consider me envious, I suppose. Me, I'm just looking forward to hibernating for a few days, curling up with a blanket and a good book. But I'm getting ahead of myself. We've still got ground to cover. This week finds us traveling the state of South Dakota. As we wind our way south through the sandy dunes and wind-carved hoodoos of the Badlands, you can't help but appreciate the rugged beauty of this place both harsh and picturesque in equal measure. At times, the asphalt seems to stretch forever, weaving between mesas and swinging wide around dusty gulches and ravines, until we finally roll into the Oglala Lakota community of Pine Ridge. One of the largest reservations in the United States, Pine Ridge has a pretty rich and often violent history the infamous Wounded Knee Massacre being probably the most well-known. Like many reservations, the people of Pine Ridge don't face any lack of challenges, one of the most troubling of which 
is a frighteningly high rate of suicide. The stark, tragic reality is, due to economic and social conditions, high suicide rates are far too common on many reservations in America. Not easy for any community to overcome. And Pine Ridge is no exception. But if the stories are true, they've got another root to their troubles, too. Something that transcends anything socioeconomic. Something much more supernatural. The black thoughts had come on quickly, rolling in like dark storm clouds to blot out the sun. She'd locked herself in her room, cutting herself off from the outside world, curling in on herself. She sat on her bed, hugging her knees close to her chest, listening to the rain hammer the window pane, watching the drops trace rivulets down the glass, obscuring the forest line beyond. As she watched, the dark trees seemed to press in toward the house, to lean in toward her, to crowd her, reach for her. Branches turned to point aggressive, accusing fingers at her, and she could hear them whisper, too, hear them taunt and belittle her, soft at first, but growing bolder and sharper, their words needling barbs that pierced her fragile conscience. She was useless, they told her, a waste, not even worth their time. The voices grew clearer and more aggressive until finally they coalesced into one single voice. She was a burden to those she cared about, it said. The best thing she could do was kill herself, make life easier for those who remained. She wouldn't be missed. If anything, they'd thank her. They'd never really wanted her, after all. As her mind sank deeper and deeper into depression and despair, as she began to truly consider what it would be like to end her life, how she would do it, walking through the motions in her mind, she was suddenly startled out of the trance by movement outside of the window. Two bright lights that she hadn't even noticed before began to bob and move in parallel. Eyes, she realized with a start. But as soon as the realization struck her, the figure moved, stepping back into the forest. It took a moment to process, but the picture of what had watched her had whispered to her from the shadows of the stormy forest, was burned into her mind. Unlocking her door, she raced to find her grandmother. Surely she would know what was out in the forest, what had invaded her mind and sown seeds of such darkness and despair. Her grandmother listened patiently, calmly, as the girl explained what she saw what it had said, and what it had made her feel. It was a huge man, she said, dark, almost indistinguishable from the shadows of the forest that surrounded it, and it wore a large hat, like the ones they used to wear in the old days, like Abraham Lincoln. 
It was tall, too, even without the hat, rivaling the height of some of the smaller trees. And its face was entirely blank, except for two bright dots where its eyes should have been. Her grandmother nodded. It had long arms and legs, too, didn't it? she asked. And thin, almost like a skeleton. The girl's eyes widened, recognition washing over her face. I'm glad you came to me, said the grandmother. That was walking Sam. And you're in danger. We need to find help. The grandmother took the girl to a friend's home, where the elder placed protective blessings on her. And over the course of the next few days, the cloud that had surrounded her slowly began to lift. She began to feel her old self again, her self-doubt and depression slowly dissolving until they were gone. But any time she wandered too close to the forest, strayed just a little too near the tree line, she would hear it, would hear him whistling an eerie sound that raised goose flesh and sent prickles of doubt racing through her mind. Needless to say, the woods weren't a place she ventured very often after that, certainly not if she could help it. There are dozens of similar accounts of a huge, dark, gangly man with a mostly blank face and the woods, and even wandering the streets, of Pine Ridge, South Dakota. Police reports from the community are numerous and span several decades, too. In fact, one police officer reported capturing the massive form on thermal camera while pursuing him through the forest, where the creature somehow managed to slip right past another group of officers approaching from the opposite direction. In appearance, walking Sam sounds pretty similar to Slenderman, but even stranger than his awkward proportions, near-featureless face, tall hat, and huge size, he's said to hang the soles of his victims from his arms. As decorations, trophies, or prisoners? I'm not sure. Where Slenderman can trace his roots back to a 2009 creepypasta, Walking Sam has been part of Lakota legend long before the advent of the internet. While some have called Walking Sam a demon or an evil spirit, some even believe he's maybe a distant relative of Bigfoot, many are convinced that his tale is much more sympathetic. That he was a creature from another plane, banished here to our world, destined to live alone, desperate for companionship. And that the only way he can find it is to lure those with young, impressionable minds into the forest to kill themselves, where he can collect and befriend their souls forever. Whether it's a case of deadly depression sweeping a community, or the supernatural manipulations of a dark force luring teens into the forest to take their own lives, the impact on the community is the same. The heartbreak and despair of never truly knowing why. Let's move on to some stories. Our first story for the evening comes from Emma Johnson Rivard. Emma Johnson Rivard, 
currently resides in Minnesota, with her dogs and far too many books. In addition to her recent completion of Hamline University's master's program, Emma has been hard at work writing, with her work appearing in Mistake House, The Nix's Mate Review, and Moon City Review. Her chapbook, The Witch's Cat and Her Fateful Murder Ballads, was released by the Aesthetics Apostle. Children of the Night, join me for Emma Johnson Rivard's Job Hunting, a Tales to Terrify original. The interview had gone well, right up until she'd found the dead man in the walk-in freezer. Priding herself on being a pragmatic sort of woman, Alison didn't scream. She took a breath of cold, still air and turned her back to the corpse. She'd seen enough. The dead man was strung up on meat hooks, wearing a torn-up suit and white socks, a lone leather shoe dangling off his right foot. Someone had gutted him and pulled out his insides. Alison could see the white gleam of his ribcage under the suit. A faint sheen of frost covered his skin. Alison inhaled, held her breath, counted to five, and then exhaled. She thought that might help. Miss Yusenko, the woman who'd posted the ad for a personal assistant, looked vaguely put out. Oh, she said. I forgot about that one. You really weren't supposed to see that. Alison held her back perfectly straight. Looked professional, she told herself, remembering the class she'd taken on mastering job interviews. Assert yourself and others will see your value. (laughs) I'm sure there's a good reason for that. There is, Miss Yusenko agreed. I put him there. I suppose we'll have to discuss it now. Would you like some coffee? I find it's easier to have a civil conversation over good coffee. Alison, who had once played Hamlet in college, was no stranger to faking confidence in the presence of persistent and overwhelming fear. She gave Miss Yusenko a faint smile. Yes, she said. That sounds wonderful. Coffee was served in Miss Yusenko's office, a small room lined with mahogany bookshelves and polished animal skulls. A stuffed wolf, yellow-eyed and mean-looking, kept watch by the door. Framed photographs of a younger Miss Yusenko were tucked among the books. They showed her in military-looking uniforms, always holding a large rifle. The backgrounds were deserts or deep jungle. This seemed odd compared to the rest of the room, with the Persian carpet underfoot and the expensive-looking chairs pulled up to the desk. The whole place smelled of Lysol and coffee beans. Alison examined the books while the coffee brewed. Most of the titles were in Russian, but there were a few English ones mixed in. A collection of Pablo Neruda's poetry, two academic-looking monsters on the psychology of serial murders, and what looked like a zoological manual on the behaviour of the American Timberwolf. Alison supposed that was to be expected. She tapped one of the big, academic-looking ones. May I? 
Of course, Missy Senko told her. It's important to know as much as you can. I always loved the public library as a child. Alison nodded, flipping the book open. Many of the pages were highlighted with neat, handwritten notes in the margins. I carry this book about Jack the Ripper, so men won't talk to me when I'm on the bus. It has pictures. Miss Yusenko hummed, setting out a pitcher of cream and little packets of sugar. That's rather clever. Thank you, Alison said. Won't you sit down? I'll lend you the book if you like. Alison sat down. She set the book on her lap. Miss Yusenko poured coffee for both of them. She must have been beautiful as a teenager, Alison thought. All thick black hair and cheekbones that cut, like one of the silent movie actresses back in the day. The family was old-world Ukrainian, apparently, but Miss Yusenko spoke English without the slightest hint of an accent. She'd aged well, too, 45 settling comfortably over her like the cashmere sweater she wore. Her shoulders were broad and strong, and though her nails were unpainted, Miss Yusenko wore rings on every finger. Most of them were sharp-looking, delicate metal crafted to form spikes around the gems. A rich woman's knuckle-dusters, just like in a movie, Alison thought. You're remarkably calm, Miss Yusenko said for a moment. She drank her coffee black and bitter. I suspected someone might find me out eventually, but I always thought they'd put up an awful fuss. Would it help if I cried? Alison asked. It wouldn't be hard to fake. She'd been a decent actress once, too formal for anything but Shakespeare, her professor had told her, but the world could always do with a little more of the classics. I didn't see much point in it, is all. Miss Yusenko considered that. Quite pragmatic of you. Thank you, Alison said. Coffee steamed in her mug. She added cream and as much sugar as she did. I might be in shock. Possibly, Miss Yusenko agreed. It's not every day that you meet a serial killer. Miss Yusenko raised an eyebrow. Oh? You are, aren't you? Alison drank her coffee. The sweetness helped. It might have been poisoned, but there wasn't much he could do about that. You don't just forget a man strung up on meat hooks. Unless you want me to see him. I'll admit, that was an error of mine, Miss Yusenko said. It's rare that I stay on this property, and I'm afraid that one has been there for several years. A terrible oversight, of course, and not the sort of thing I'd have inflict upon a prospective employee. I imagine it must have been quite the shock for you. Uh-huh, Alison said. Who was he? You know, I don't recall that one, Miss Yusenko said gently. Then she paused set her coffee down. Actually, no, that's a lie. I remember perfectly well who it was. I set him loose in the woods and said he'd be free to do as he pleased if he evaded me all night. Of course, he only lasted an hour, but we had fun when it was done. Miss Yusenko nodded, a faint smile on her face. I was a medic in the army, you see. My family was poor then, and I wanted an adventure. Of course, I wanted to kill someone too, but you don't go around saying that. It came later, the killing. My service was dreadfully uneventful, but I learned how to hunt in the dark, and I learned how to take a body apart once I caught him. 
We had such fun. I decided to keep him a while. But then I had other, better fun. And I'm afraid I quite forgot about this one. Did you shoot him? Alison wondered. All the photographs had rifles in them. Oh, yes. I paid a sergeant to train me as a sniper back in the day, and I got quite good at it. I shot him in the leg. Not how you're supposed to do it, of course, but I'm sure you've guessed I have certain proclivities. I wanted him to bleed for a while, flop around a bit. It's really not much fun at all if they die right away. All of it was said quite conversationally. Miss Yusenko sipped her coffee, sitting behind the mahogany desk, pretty as you pleased. Not so long ago, they'd been sitting in these very chairs, discussing the hours and responsibilities Miss Yusenko had in mind for her personal assistant. Someone to type up emails for her and cook the occasional meal in the big industrial kitchen. Alison suspected the real job was keeping Miss Yusenko company in her fancy house, all 37 rooms of it filled with books and dead animals mounted on the walls. Alison hadn't had much luck finding a job after graduation. Missing something essential when it came to office work and inexplicably overqualified for anything involving manual labour. Keeping an older, beautiful woman company might have smacked of prostitution, at least in the subtext, but shame was for people who weren't a month behind on the rent. I suppose you've been doing it for a while now, Alison said. She drank another sip of her coffee. If it was poisoned, she couldn't tell. Quite some time. Miss Yusenko agreed. Do you mind if I ask why? Not at all. Miss Yusenko gave her a gentle smile. It's because I want to, really. I believe you would rank me among the hedonists of my breed, the lust killers. It's quite sexual. Though, I suppose I should mention, I never actually have sex with them. That's not really the point. The thrill of the chase, then the catching and the cutting. That's what matters. I plan it out quite extensively. I keep trophies. If not for my gender, I believe I would be quite textbook. Of course, I've never consulted an expert, for obvious reasons. And there's always the chance of internal biases, you see. One can only be so objective. Do you always kill men? Oh yes, exclusively. I prefer them to be bad men, abusers and the like. But that, I admit, is a vanity of mine. It's just sweeter when they've done something to deserve me. I fancy society is better for it. Miss Yusenko smiled again. She finished her coffee and set the mug aside. I allow myself that indulgence. One day I might feel guilty and want the excuse. It hasn't happened yet, but one never knows. Do you have sex with the corpses? Alison wondered. She'd gone this far, she might as well know. Sometimes I think of them fondly, Miss Yusenko allowed. But no. I like to look at the bones sometimes and remember. The skulls especially. But the joy is in the cutting. Afterwards, well, meat is meat. Sometimes I eat it. I wouldn't have asked you to participate, of course. It's a private hobby of mine. Alison nodded. She supposed she might die in this house with all the skulls and fancy books looking down on her. She'd known that since she'd first seen the dead man with his empty belly and dusting of frost. The whole time, she'd been fighting the impulse to grab her cell phone and call 911. 
or just forget everything in a mad dash for the door. Still, Alison was a pragmatic soul at her core, and running from someone like Miss Yusenko inevitably meant they'd give chase. Given the choice, Alison would appeal to logic. It seemed safer. Are you still looking for an assistant? Alison asked. Miss Yusenko raised an eyebrow. Perhaps? I'd have to be involved in a small way, Alison said, as if this had been the plan all along. Disposing of personal effects, for instance. Enough that I couldn't go to the police without implicating myself, so there would be trust between us. Miss Yusenko laughed. No promises to run away and never speak a word of what you've seen? Alison shook her head. I doubt you'd take the risk. I could appeal to your moral side, perhaps. You said you don't kill women, that you like it when they're bad somehow. Really, I'm just a bystander in this. I haven't done anything to you. But, Miss Yusenko prompted. But I'd still be a threat. Exceptions can be made. Maybe you'd feel bad afterwards, but I'd be better dead to you than running around free in the world. Unless I can't go to the police. Still angling for the job after everything? Miss Yusenko laughed, softer than before. My, you are an odd one. You might have been poor in the army, but you're rich now, Alison pointed out. Sit up straight, she reminded herself. Make eye contact. Assert yourself. Jobs go to people who chase them down, the ones who stand up for themselves. The same might be said for saving her own life. You can pay me better than any job I'd get, and I know now. So you wouldn't have to hide. It helps that you only kill bad ones. I'd have moral problems otherwise. But I can get over it, if they're bad men. They are, Miss Yusenko assured her. I have a friend in the police who sells me names. Men who beat their wives, rapists, even a paedophile once. I had such fun with him. I spent a whole week on him, Alison. That wouldn't be a problem, Alison said. It might have been a lie, but she could pretend. I won't participate, of course. I'm not wired to participate. That seems fair, Miss Yusenko said. I'm glad you understand. Boundaries are important. As we discussed, I'd help you with smaller things. Getting rid of personal effects. Establishing alibis, things like that. Actions that paint me as an accomplice and such. We can discuss other tasks as they come to you. Alison took a deep breath. Exhaled. Sell yourself as an employee. Make them want you. Because you do need an assistant, Miss Yusenko. And you need peace of mind. And really, what are the chances you'll find someone else so accommodating? There was a long pause. Miss Yusenko regarded her with a critical eye. Alison slowed her breathing. She clutched the book so her hands wouldn't shake. Miss Yusenko smiled. Why don't you start Monday? That was Emma Johnson Rivard's Job Hunting, as read by Kelly Andrew. 
Kelly lives in South Africa, where she recently graduated with a BA in psychology and German. She enjoys reading, indie films, and cats, as well as telling stories, of course. Working in a bookstore gives her ample time to read and tell stories to her colleagues, but shh, don't tell her boss. Thank you, Kelly. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. It dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Our second story comes from Haley Piper. Haley Piper grew up in the shadow of the haunted woods behind her childhood home. In the winter, the sound of babies crying would drift through the trees and fill her dreams with ghouls and monsters. She can be slow to open up, but once she does, you'll lose count of all the teeth. Her short stories have featured in such publications as Bloodbath Literary Zine, The Bronzeville Bee, and Planet Scum. Her debut novella, The Haunting of Natalie Glasgow, was released into the wild since October 2018. Listen with me, children of the night, to Haley Piper's Help, a Tales to Terrify original.
Most people might have been suspicious about the flyer at the bus stop. Urgent. Dog sitter. At my place. One grand for weekend of Friday the 21st to Sunday the 23rd. Mom is sick. Can't take dogs. If interested, call now. For two days of work, $1,000. Lacey couldn't afford pessimism. In the space of a month, both of her roommates had left her high and dry, one without even a goodbye. Rent was due next week. Lacey called the number. His name was Cedric, and the position was still open. He suggested they meet in a corner store parking lot near his place so his dogs could check her out, and she meant to check him out. The offer was already sketchy. She hoped her desperation didn't show. She reached the corner store parking lot not long after noon on Friday. There waited a tall, heavyset man and his two dogs. Both dogs were female, one a white pit bull terrier with black spots, the other a lean German shepherd. They sat at attention to either side of the man who had to be Cedric. Lacey introduced herself and shook his hand. If he was going to try anything, it wouldn't be here, but she had pepper spray in the outer pocket of her purse, slung over the same shoulder as her overnight bag. The dogs looked at her. She held her hand out for them to sniff, but they didn't budge. When she petted their heads, they didn't react. They're well-trained, she said. Wouldn't even need the leashes if it wasn't the law, Cedric said. They'll sit, lie, heal, even eat when you tell them, if you have to. Then you just need to see how I would do? You seem to know your way, but that's a formality. Cedric rubbed the back of his neck, where a gold chain glinted in the sun. We had to meet because no one can find my place unless I take them there first. Anytime I'm ordering food from a new restaurant, or an old restaurant gets a new delivery guy, we meet here. It'll be the same for you. My phone has a map. You would have been walking in circles, I promise. You're not the first. Let's move. I have a long drive. Cedric led them around the corner store and down a cracked sidewalk. Tightly packed buildings grew independent of each other the farther they walked. Longer and longer stretches of sand and gravel separated the houses until they reached a curving residential side street. Cedric's dogs made the turn before he did. What are their names? Lacey asked. They don't have names. After another few steps down the sidewalk, Cedric pointed to the right. We're here. Lacey turned from the sidewalk toward the nearest house. She realized after three steps that she was stepping on sand. Cedric beckoned her from the sidewalk. Not there. Don't look at the houses. Just keep your eyes on me. She watched him from behind, a steady two steps ahead of her. But the world around him leaned left and right, desperate to escape her gaze. At last, he took her hand and led her. His dogs marched ahead of him and together turned from the sidewalk. The houses to either side leaned toward each other and insisted there was no path between them, with such irrefutability that Lacey's eyes began to pulse. They were about to smash against the fuzzy crease between the two neighbor houses when Cedric unlocked a front door. Lacey's hand touched the rim of the doorway, and the pulsation in her eyes vanished. She stood outside a low-roofed, sandy beige house, much like its neighbors on this street. If anything, it was sparse compared to them. No decorations, no gravel lawn ornaments, a house exterior devoid of personality and presence. She glanced at the neighbor houses from Cedric's doorstep. 
They each stood at least half a house's distance from either side of Cedric's. How could she have seen otherwise? He smiled and opened the door. I warned you. They stepped into a living room with a green sofa and an entertainment unit that housed a widescreen TV. Aging video game consoles crowded the shelves below. To the left, Cedric's bedroom. To the right, kitchen, and a shut door with twin deadbolts. Crosses and biblical paintings covered every wall. I've changed the sheets, so feel free to use the bed, but the sofa pulls out too. Bathroom's clean. Keep out of the medicine cabinet, unless you need aspirin. Plenty of food in the kitchen, so help yourself. If you want food out, that's on you, but do it before dark. Why? Cedric eyed the dogs. If you go out to get food, take them with you, but they need to be back here by night. Take them out in the back, or go for a walk all they want during the day, but at night, they stay home. It's part of their deal. Honestly, they'll just sleep most of the time. I just need someone here with them at night. If there's no one to guard, they don't see any reason to stick around. Lacey glanced at the white dog. Pitbulls make terrible guard dogs unless you train them to fight. They love people too much. Cedric unhooked the leashes from the dog's collars. I love mine right back. Make her feel useful. Lacey paced the house from bedroom to front door, to the kitchen and its back door, and paused at what she thought was a closet. Is this the pantry? Basement. I have a parrot down there. Does the parrot have a name? No. He likes it cool, and it's open enough for him to fly around. Plenty of food and water down there, too. Don't open the door or he'll get out, and then you'll have him loose in the house. If he gets outside, he's gone forever. Lacey agreed to the rules. Stay here at night. Don't leave the dogs alone. Don't open the basement door. Keep the nameless dogs fed, watered, and make sure they didn't crap on the carpet, and she would have a thousand dollars in her pocket come Sunday night. Cedric slung a backpack over his shoulder and approached his dogs. They looked up expectantly. Lacey thought he might at last show them some affection, but he neither petted their heads nor rubbed their bellies. He raised a hand, made sure their eyes were on him, and whispered. It might have been a Hail Mary, but Lacey couldn't be sure. She didn't need to be sure. She needed to mind her own business. There was no parrot in that basement, she was certain of that, and she didn't need to know what Cedric really kept down there. Probably drugs. Cedric seemed to have a mystical strangeness to him, but in Lacey's experience, every odd behavior in the world could be explained drugs. Cedric didn't look like a junkie, but who had a grand to drop on a dog sitter? No one with a normal day job, not in this town at least. When he finished his strange goodbye to his dogs, he wished Lacey good luck and left the house. His car roared to life and he was gone, up the road and soon out of town. Lacey glanced at the basement door. She had no plans to touch it. The dogs snoozed together in a window-sized square of sunshine on the faded orange carpet. Lacey set up her things throughout the house and spent most of the day sifting her email for roommate applications. Two dependable people who weren't creepy and could pay their share without vanishing just before the month's end didn't seem too much to ask. Cedric's freezer packed an inordinate variety of frozen dinners, while he stocked the fridge with uncooked meat and vegetables. The pantry stored a dozen kinds of snacks. Lacey made herself a dinner of chips, dip, and jerky. 
The sun dragged at the sky, shifting the dog's resting place, until there was no more sunlit square for them to nap. Lacey fed them after she ate, took them for a walk, and hoped like crazy the optical effect that squeezed Cedric's house out of sight only happened because of the bright midday sun. Dusk set in, the dogs finished a couple blocks from the house, and then were eager to get off the street. Lacey wondered if there was more to staying in the house at night than the dog's comfort, if this street had a rougher atmosphere than the rest of town. They led her to Cedric's house, while the horizon wore a fiery glow. The walk must have tired her out more than she realized. When the dogs were inside and she had locked the door and drawn the curtains, she collapsed across the sofa. Her chest grew heavy, her lungs squeezed tight. She tried to pick out a movie from Cedric's cable, one so loud it might keep her awake long enough to brush her teeth and get ready for bed. The TV was still on the movie's menu when she started awake, heart pounding. Its blue glow spit black shadows across Cedric's living room. Her heart wouldn't settle. Who could blame her? She was in a strange place, had woken suddenly, maybe even had a nightmare she couldn't remember. There was nothing to fear. The front door was shut and the house was quiet. You're safe, she told herself. The dogs. She didn't hear them snoring. They didn't have names to call if they had managed to bust through the back door. Both sat at attention a couple feet apart, their backs to the sofa, their heads pointed squarely at the basement door. The pit bull took on a ghostly shimmer as her white fur picked up the TV's glow. The German shepherd was little more than a silhouette beside her. Girls? Lacey wished she had something to call them. They had to have names, even if Cedric was the only person who knew them. The dogs didn't break their thousand-yard stare. The basement door consumed every ounce of their attention, their bodies stone still. Their glow and silhouette weighed on Lacey's eyes, as if they were the neighbor houses leaning toward Cedric's. Beneath Cedric's crosses and biblical paintings, in the murky darkness, the dogs took on the significance of an omen. They were gargoyles, deep in ritual, and any noise might make them snap. And there was a noise, but not from Lacey. It came from the basement, scraping like sandpaper over stone. It sent a shudder up Lacey's arms and down her spine. Neither dog reacted. Maybe there wasn't any danger. The scrape came again, softer this time, and then faded. Lacey forced herself off the couch, stepped between the dogs, and listened. Help! Another dry scrape. But Lacey knew that sound. Feathers. The parrot was flying, landing, talking to himself. She leaned against the wall and looked down at the dogs, their snouts still aimed at the door. The feathers must have scared them, too. Lacey started to giggle. Help! It came quieter this time, harsher. The parrot must have flown deeper into the basement. Then it whistled and said, Let me out! Lacey patted her chest. Her heart needed to calm the hell down. Clever bird. Think you're funny? Let me out! Help! Help! Lacey giggled again. Just a goofy bird who thought he could talk his way out of there. Help, help! Help! The parrot fluttered closer to the door and his feet clicked, as if landing on a wooden perch. Let me out! 
I won't tell anyone. I won't tell the cops or nothing. Lacey held still as the dogs. The parrot was just being funny, right? Except, from what she knew, parrots couldn't form their own sentences. They could only repeat what they had heard. She prompted him again. Help? Help! Don't put me down there. Please, you can't. God, what is that thing? Please, let me out! The parrot whistled. Help! Help! It's coming! Don't leave me in here with that thing! The parrot flapped away from the door. Let me out! Help! It's got me! Please! You can't! Help! Lacey tried to prompt the bird again, but her throat was too dry. She only managed, before scrambling to the kitchen, where she guzzled faucet water by the handful, until her insides felt less like an aching wasteland. Help! I won't tell anyone! I swear to God! She staggered back to the basement door. There was only a parrot down there, she had to remind herself. A parrot that could fly and mimic speech, but only a parrot. No one who said those things was down there in need of saving. But someone was, she said. She wasn't sure to whom, maybe the dogs. It was only natural to speak to the nearest living thing. Help! The parrot, too, was a living thing. And maybe other living things had been down there with it. Or maybe he was only repeating things he'd heard from Cedric's TV. If Lacey opened the door, the parrot might escape over nothing. Goodbye, $1,000. But then, if Cedric was hiding something worse than drugs, and she did nothing... Get paid, right? She slunk down beside the basement door, her eyes on the dogs. Right? They only stared. The parrot might have frightened them, but they might also be guards for the door. A pit bull and a German shepherd, strong breeds, often misused to hurt other dogs or people, and Cedric had these two wrapped around his finger. If he meant to trap someone in his basement, the dogs could herd them in. For all Lacey knew, they were trained to attack anyone who opened the basement door. She looked them in the eyes, reflecting the TV's blue glow. They didn't acknowledge her, only that door. Her fingers crept up the doorframe and rested on the doorknob, ready to wrench back the moment either dog made the slightest growl. Neither moved an inch, nor made a sound. Help, the parrot said. Don't let it take me. I don't want to go. Don't let it. God, help me. Open the door. Save me. Lacey grasped the doorknob and dragged herself off the floor, her eyes fixed on the deadbolts. She could go to bed, forget all this, and cash a thousand dollars by Sunday night. She could open this door and kiss it all goodbye. Her fingers slid away from the doorknob. But she couldn't do nothing and live with herself. That would change her, and she didn't think she'd like that person. She returned to the couch where her phone lay amid the cushions and called the police. They didn't need to know about the parrot, only that Lacey had been paid to dog sit, heard someone cry for help in the basement, and that she was scared.
the woman she spoke with said a nearby patrol car would be right over. Lacey hung up. She could rest now. This was all she could do. Help! The parrot never stopped talking. Her phone lit up half an hour later. The same woman spoke to Lacey. Officer can't seem to locate your address. Lacey had forgotten that someone had to lead. Tell them to keep an eye out for a woman waving them down. I'll be on the sidewalk. She clutched the phone to her side and stepped out the front door. The night was cooler and brighter than she'd noticed inside the house. She thought maybe she should have left a set of curtains parted, opened a window to let in the draft. Mundane, unimportant thoughts. Easier thoughts than the basement door. She stepped onto the sidewalk and looked for bright blue and red lights. Nothing appeared in the night. Maybe the police had gone looking too far afield. She glanced at her phone for another dispatch call, but it only showed her the time, past one in the morning. A heavy crack made her shudder. She turned around in time to see the dogs dash out the door. The rules. No leaving the house at night. Damn. She started after them, but her head dizzied, her vision spinning. The neighboring houses leaned hard toward Cedric's house, desperate to wipe it and its basement out of the world. Lacey stumbled toward the narrowing front doorway, its door swinging where the dogs had busted it open. The house was a crease in the air, but she reached out and latched her fingers around the doorknob. She was centered, the world stabilized, and the dogs were gone with her money. She should have leashed them, called them to heal. Now they were gone and she couldn't even shout their names. Cedric had warned her, right? The dogs needed someone to protect and she left them. They had no reason to stay. And far as they knew, no reason to come back. If she tried to chase them down, she would never find Cedric's house again. It repelled anyone who didn't know the way. Maybe even Cedric couldn't find his way and needed the dogs to lead him. That made Lacey laugh, but no, he lived here. He was different. Sunday night, he was coming home, and his dogs were gone. Damned as she was, she could make it worse. Lacey slipped inside and approached the basement door. The parrot was quiet now. She gave him a nudge. Help? The parrot whistled. Her fingers tapped the deadbolts. The keyholes were on the inside. There was nothing to stop her from sliding them loose except Cedric's instructions not to open the door. The door shook against her. She screamed and ducked back to the couch. The door rattled against the deadbolts in the doorframe. Whatever was pounding was too large to be a parrot, but the parrot kept talking. Help! God, what is that? Don't let it touch me! Lacey covered her mouth, eyes wide. The door cried out. Someone was down there after all. Do you need help? Help! Only the parrot. Open the door. Save me. The door jerked again, and this time wood crunched. Something heavy tore at the door's hinges from the other side. Black talons rammed between door and doorframe, each thick as Lacey's wrist. Don't let it touch me. Lacey scrambled from the couch and grabbed her overnight bag. It's got me. She bolted from the front door, shredded wood 
and creaking metal chased after her. She threw the front door open. There were lights at the sidewalk, flashing blue and red. A silhouette of a police officer paced the street, looking every which way. Help! The voice was right in Lacey's ear. Something heavy grabbed her from behind. She was in the doorframe. Help! It's got me! The claw yanked her from the front door, toward another door, toward the basement. She started screaming. No help words, just unstoppable shrieking. The police officers had to have heard her. They looked right at her. But all they saw was a space between two houses, an empty stretch of sand and stone that hurt their eyes. And then they looked away. That was Haley Piper's Help, as read by Emily Strand. Emily Strand is a writer, musician, and college professor living in Ohio who really enjoys robots. Thank you, Emily. Well, children of the night, the hour is late, and we've run out of stories to tell for now. Support us on Patreon for access to ad-free episodes and bonus content. Visit patreon.com slash tales to terrify to sign up. Or if PayPal's more your style, you can support us via the link near the bottom of our homepage at tales to terrify.com. And if you've got a minute or two to spare, we'd love it if you'd pop over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts, and leave us a rating or a review. Reviews are huge to a volunteer-run podcast like ours. They help keep us on the charts so we can darken the dreams of new listeners. Tales to Terrify is produced by Seth Williams, Pete Morsellino, Meredith Morgenstern, Julia Zellman, and myself, Drew Sebastini, with original theme by Nebulous Entertainment. Tales to Terrify is distributed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, no derivatives license. Join us again next week as we lure you into shadow with more Tales to Terrify. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.
Want to get a chiseled look in the jawline? Sculpt and shape your jawline with added volume from Juvederm Volux XC. Juvederm Volux XC is an injectable gel specifically designed to be robust enough to improve moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. And it is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler approved for the jawline. Add volume to your jawline for a chiseled look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M dot com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com.